Hi and welcome to my latest podcast. I'm super excited you're joining me as we go through the Gospel of John and we look at Jesus through the eyes of one of his best friends and we come across some incredible theological gems, some wonderful stories and just this amazing perspective that's really different from the other three Gospel writers. So buckle up and join me, Paul White, as we saunter through the book of John. Good morning everyone. Welcome to another saunter. Welcome to John chapter 17. And we are going to pray. I'm just going to slowly move this thing. There we are. So we're going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this incredible chapter of such an incredible book in your glorious book the bible lord we thank you for all that you're going to say to us today through it and not just in this half hour but as we reflect on it through the day lord i believe you're going to speak to us so many things and give insight into so many things and we thank you lord amen so here we go we're on chapter 17 and this is the most one of the Again, I mean, John is full of famous passages, and this is an incredibly famous passage. It's called, in my Bible, it's called the High Priestly Prayer. And it's Jesus really fulfilling his role as a high priest who's gone into the presence of God to make a way for us forever But not just that, he's there and his role is to intercede for us, to go between um, heaven and earth to intercede for us, his brothers and sisters, and to pray on our behalf to the Father. And this is an insight into Jesus' praying, which I think is just magnificent and is really helpful for us who love to pray and want to pray um, well and more. Good to see you, Kathy. And so... When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Good morning, Fran. This is this is profound. Jesus is, has been building up, hasn't he, over the last few chapters. There's this real sense of an increasing tension, increasing build up towards something that's going to be ultimately the purpose of Jesus's whole visit, if you like. Good morning, Lorraine. And he's kind of building up to this moment and it's not just a spiritual thing that he's about to do. It's physical. It's costing him everything. He It's emotional. He knows that his dear friends who've walked with him for three years are going to actually run away and hide. One's going to deny him. One's going to betray him. He's got all this ahead of him. And there's this sense of building up and building up and building up. And in this moment, what does he do? He turns his eyes to heaven. Come on. He lifts up his eyes to heaven and says, Father, the hour has come. And this this prayer has many echoes of the Lord's Prayer. It's longer, it's more detailed, but it's got many of the similar themes. And once again, Jesus addresses God as Father 
He says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son. So his expectation now is that in this moment of deep travail, deep pain, deep suffering on all these different levels, the father is going to glorify him and he's going to glorify the father so that God is going to be glorified through this event, which from a human perspective, it looks anything but glorifying to God, doesn't it? And I think once again, it's helpful for us to get our recalibrate our thinking and, and kind of acknowledge that sometimes in God's scheme of things, what seems to be like a crushing defeat is actually the gateway to a massive victory. And so instead of this being um, Jesus having the expectation that he's going to be humiliated, which he is, he's going to be really exposed and vulnerable and abused and all those things which of course he is it's all going to happen yet in it all somehow this is glory is going to be coming to Jesus and coming to God the Father forever and ever and ever through this event which is astonishing the very fact that we're talking about it today the very fact that we're our hearts are full of worship as we read these words is exactly glory is coming out of us even as we speak and even as we say these words we're giving glory to the Father glory to the Son and exactly what Jesus prayed is being fulfilled right here as we speak. And so he says, you've given him authority over all flesh. So the father given the son authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And so we see that Jesus is the one. We saw that back in, I think it was John um, 5. He, he has the power to give life to those he wills uh, or to those he will. And so eternal life to those he will. And the son, the son of God, Jesus himself is the one who has the power to give eternal life to those who believe in him. John opens with that in his opening prologue. He says to those who as many as believed in him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the power to be called sons of God. So here we go. So he's he has the he is the one who gives eternal life. It's not anyone else's to give. And this is he defines it. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And constantly Jesus is exposing the religious rulers and the leaders and the Pharisees, their lack of relationship with God, their failure to really know God, and certainly their failure to know Jesus himself, to recognise the one that Jesus, that God has sent. And so, but actually to recognise Jesus is the key to eternal life. In fact, it begins at that moment where we just bow our hearts before him and say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. That is the moment when eternal life begins. And then when we physically die, we're just carrying on in that eternal life that has begun now. So verse four, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I finished it. One of the things Jesus says on the cross is with his last breath is it is finished. It's done. Theologians talk about the finished work of the cross. When Jesus died and rose again, that whole package, it was his work done. His work was finished. It's a complete thing in itself. It's a piece of work done and dusted for all time. The sending of the Holy Spirit is all part of that. It's just an overflow. It's just the repercussions of his death and resurrection. It's incredible. And so he says, 
I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before you, with you before the world existed. Now, here we go. Here's a cracker for those who question about Jesus. Was he created? Did he have or is he part of the Godhead legitimately as we understand the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? And here he is just saying, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So before any of this came into being, and doesn't it put into context what Jesus is about to do? So before the world even was formed, before any of it existed, before there was ever a high priest or a Pharisee or a opinionated human being who wants to go their own way and ignore God and rebel against God, Jesus, the son, existed. He was there. He's with God in before the beginning. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. He was already there when the beginning happened. This is really cool. So when the beginning happened, Jesus was there. And he's just saying it again here in this really clear language. And it's important anyone who struggles over the deity, the godness of Jesus there are some really, really clear scriptures that highlight that and point it out. And he says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Now they know everything that you've given me is from you. For I have given them the words you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and that they have believed that you sent me. Right. So Jesus is saying, you gave me these people. I've faithfully looked after them, my disciples and my followers. I've taught them everything. I've, I've given them the words you gave me. I've not spoken off my own bat or my own imagination, but I've spoken as the words that you gave me. And now they know that everything I've given them is from you because I come from you and they've received my words they've taken them on they've they've come to know the truth so verse 9 he says I'm praying for them I'm not praying for the world but for those whom you've given me so he's you know it's not that he doesn't pray for the world but right now he's got a specific burden on his heart to pray for and it's his friends his disciples his followers who've been with him these years and who he's taught and trained. And as just as he's talking to them, you get that real sense of his heart, don't you? Guys, don't fall away. Don't don't be don't be scandalized by what's about to happen. We were talking about yesterday, weren't we? Don't let your foot get caught in a snare because of what's going to happen. Don't let the enemy who's bringing all this whole stuff on, don't let him snare you and make your heart grow bitter. And so he says, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. And Jesus is like, although they're his disciples and they're followers of Jesus, he knows they're the fathers as well. They're his children. He is their father. This is so important. <coughs> Excuse me. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I'm glorified in them. So as they start to live this stuff out and follow it, follow me, follow you, Father, I'm glorified in them. They're bringing glory to me. They're adding weight. They're giving weight to my 
The, another word for glory is weight. And it's like that idea of being worth your weight in gold. It's like that idea of um, the weightiness of someone's presence. It's their their renown, their reputation. And... Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. So their reputation, their... their, their um, kind of renown their in their esteem and their value is all this idea of glory and he says they're bringing all this to me because I'm glorified in them and I'm no longer in the world but they are in the world and I'm coming to you holy father keep them in your name which you've given me that they may be one even as we are one right this is an important prayer he says I'm not going to be here in the world anymore physically, but they are. So I want you to be specially with them, Lord, Father. This is his his prayer. I want you to be specially with them and keep them. Keep them in your name, Holy Father, which you have given me, that they may be one. I was thinking about this. And I'm a dad. It's an awesome role and responsibility. It's a massive privilege but it's also kind of scary. And when your children are small, you if you're doing your job, you're naturally trying to maintain harmony in the home and just kind of watch over the way they speak to each other, the way they speak to their mum, the way they speak to you, their response and attitude and whether they're bullying each other or, or one is bullying another and all of that. And that's quite a job. And we juggle that as a dad. Mums do it as well, of course. But as a dad, hi Miriam, is part of our role is to kind of maintain unity in the home. And Jesus is saying, as we read on, he's saying, like, I've been among these guys and been the unifying factor in our home. So when all our kids come together now, they're all big and loud and chatty and lots of banter. It's great fun and loads of laughing and messing about. And that yet each of those children now is a proper grown-up adult and they've got their own minds and their own ideas I mean they had their own minds from the beginning obviously and we didn't we know it at times but they they have different priorities and they've got different pulls on their lives and so they're kind of they're they're kind of not as unified in purpose in some respects as they were before so Josh and V live in Bournemouth and Josh is going in one direction, Emily's in Weymouth and she's working as a doctor and her husband's a musician and uh, he also works in a company and they've got a little boy and little boy George has got needs and things go on and has to go to nursery and so on and so on and then Jazzy and Israel and Daisy and so the the family pulls in all kinds of directions. When we come together, one of the unifying factors is me. It's obviously... Anna and me together, but as the dad, I feel my responsibility to be a unifying factor in the family and to help consider each other and consider the other one's point of view, even if, you know, even if someone's kind of like, there's misunderstandings, misunderstandings do arise sometimes, obviously, in any family. So we, we're we just trying to kind of work those things through, take care of the ones who are feeling a bit vulnerable at the time, get the others to realize you know what I mean and so mum does that as well and together 
Anna and I, our job is to preserve unity in the family. Obviously, we have the Holy Spirit. They all love Jesus. And so we're kind of working in that way as well. And so it, he's at work as well. So that help, that's another unifying feature in the home. But so Jesus is saying, when I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. And now he's asking the father to keep them. So he's saying, while I was with them, verse 12, I kept them. But the unity that Jesus is looking for is in a, amongst his disciples is so profound. It's the unity that exists between him and the father. I mean, that, this is mind blowing to me. This is not just like where we get along and we play nice. This is a unity of heart, a unity of purpose, a unity of spirit where we have one spirit. We recognize that we're brothers and sisters and even those we don't know, we want to speak well of. We want to speak well of each other and give each other the honour that Jesus himself gives us, which is incredible. And so he says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. So he's literally Again, picking up that theme of the good shepherd, he says, I've been a good shepherd. I've guarded them. I've laid down my life for them. I've been the one who's been keeping the wolves away while they've been on the earth. And I've only lost one. And he was the guy we knew was going to go down the toilet anyway, because he it was already um, a kind of foregone conclusion that he was going to betray me. And it seems like a tough gig, really, to be the one who gets to do that. But they're, I'm sure I'm not going to try and even think about how much choice Judas had in that. But he obviously did have choice. <clears throat> and Jesus says, I've guarded them and not one of them has been lost. Right. That the scripture may be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Right. <laughs> He's saying, right. The scripture had to be fulfilled about Judas, so we kind of know about that. But now he's saying, now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now, this is interesting because Jesus looks at us and sees our progress and sees us walking with him and he has joy and in some respects, when it talks about in Hebrews for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He's a, he's anticipating the joy of seeing you and me walking with him 2000 years on. He's anticipating that joy. But he's also, I believe, and like he says to his disciples in one of the previous chapters, you know, I've told you these things that your joy may be full. And Jesus wants the joy that is in him to live in them so that they're not a bunch of misery guts and a bunch of religious kind of I don't know undertakers do you know what I mean they're like they go around like a flock of crows he's not looking for that he's looking for people who carry his joy around and so he's but there's a joy that comes in our unity anyway so he's saying he's praying for these things that that I speak I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Verse 14, he says, I've given them your word and the word has hated. Sorry, <laughs> I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, 
but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Have you as, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Right. This isn't as complicated as it sounds. He's saying they don't belong in the world, really, because they're from another kingdom. They're from our kingdom. I don't belong in the world. The world hated me. The world's going to hate them. They're going to come into, a, they're on a collision course with the powers of this world. We both know that. Jesus is saying to the Father, we know that. And so he's saying, I want you to protect them. And he's saying, I don't want you to take them out of the world, whisk them away out of trouble and out of harm's way and keep, you know, put them in a little secluded safe space somewhere and let the world go to pot. He says, no, I want them in the world, but keep them. I'm asking you to keep them from the evil one. So Jesus says, but deliver us from evil, doesn't he? He's saying the same thing here. Deliver them from the evil one. Keep them safe. Morning, Nathan. Good to see you, bro. And he's saying, so I don't want them all whisked out. And you might want to think about that in terms of the rapture and those kind of ideas. There's this kind of there's something kind of gratifying about the idea of being whisked out in the day of trouble. But Jesus is actually saying, do you know what? I want them in the world, but I'm asking you, Father, to protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world just as I'm not of the world. So they're ambassadors of another kingdom. And what I'm asking you, God, is that you keep them from evil. And so he says, as you have sent me, and he's saying, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, sanctify sounds kind of like sanctimonious, but it's not. Sanctify really means to make holy, to set apart for a purpose. And Jesus is saying, I want you to set these people apart for a purpose. I want them to be your special people. God claimed Israel to be a holy nation, a nation set apart for him, for his own purpose. And so he's saying, Lord God, sanctify them um, in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you've sent me into the world... So I've sent them into the world. So he's saying, right, once again, as the father sent me, so I am sending you. And so he's saying. For their sake, I sanct I can't consecrate myself is about to be a dog barking. Someone's just come to the door. <laughs> Here we go. Here it starts. They've come for a chest of drawers there early, which is annoying. Because I'm right in the middle of the most important bit. So Jesus is saying, right, sanctify them in the truth. Can you shut the door, babe? My door. Oh, dear. <laughs> Maybe I might. Oh, dear. So he's saying, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He said, I've set myself apart for you. I want you to set these people apart for yourself as well. Sanctify them in the truth. Let your word live in them <laughs> to such an extent. I'm really sorry. This is so distracting. Um, yeah, I'm going to just 
let this little kerfuffle happen right there right and he's saying um as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So in G Jesus said, as the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. <laughs> yeah, we talk about that, Fran. Um, uh, I'm not saying this is relating to the rapture, but it's an interesting thought, isn't it? That we don't get whisked out. With Jesus, Jesus wants us in the world to deal with it and to be all that he is in the world. He wants us to be that. And so he says, um, they need to be holy. They need to be set apart for you. They need to belong to you exclusively. And so I'm asking you, Father, that you'll sanctify them in truth. So verse 20, he says, I do not ask for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. They, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. One second. The dog can help me just for one more minute. I just would like to kind of wrap up the thought, but I, I think I might have lost my moment a little bit. Here we go. So Lord, help us just to really get these last few thoughts together. So he says, I don't ask for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus is anticipating a whole bunch of people who will come after these first generation of disciples who will believe because they've done their job. These disciples have done their job well and have preached the gospel well. He's expecting new believers to come. And he, so he's praying for them as well. So he's praying for you and me. That's just incredible, isn't it? He's not just thinking about this initial 12, his first clutch of disciples, but he's thinking about all the ones who will come subsequently and the ones who will come who believe through us, which is also amazing. And um, he says, the glory that you have given me. Oh, hold on. Sorry, I'm still jumping ahead. He says that they may be all one. So they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. They may also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. And so he's he's anticipating these people who are going to believe. And he's saying, do you know what? I pray that they'll be one as well, that they'll, they'll all be one. And that sometimes I think I look at the world, the church at the moment around the world. And I think, man, it's so kind of full of different cultures and <clears throat> even people who seem to believe the same things can get so hung up on a few disagreements over particular things. And I think, man, we believe on like 99.999. We agree on so much of the same thing and yet we fall out over one thing. And it's not even like whether Jesus is God, the you know, God or not, something important, but it will be something really that seems not like a side issue, but it's not the main thing that we have to believe. And yet we can get so hung up on these things that we lose that sense of unity because we're just cross with each other because, well, it's so obvious. Why can't you see it? And I know people get cross with me because I can't see some of the things that they say. And I don't understand some other people who believe and I'm no one, no one listening, by the way, just so I'm saying that. I'm just saying that there are things that happen within the church. We think, gosh, how did you, whoa, how did you arrive at that conclusion? 
and and it's like it just shatters things when we make those things the all important thing and somehow i do believe that if jesus prayed this prayer he's going to work it out somehow and he's going to bring something that is more than a superficial unity where we go, oh, bless you, brother. Oh, that's the people. Oh, hello. Good afternoon. And we nod and pass each other civilly. I'm sure there's something deeper that God is looking for. And I'm sure we're never going to all agree on every single point of doctrine. But I'm sure that somehow there's a unity that is glorifying to Jesus, glorifying to the Father that people look at and they say, do you know what? I don't know. You talk to this one and they kind of say that and you talk to this one and you say that. Yeah, they love each other like crazy. And it's like, but even in our family now with the four kids, there are lots of differences and they would disagree on some things. But they are so much part of a family. And I think this is what is something like that. And I'm reaching for it and I'm kind of crying out to God for it because I just want to see it in my lifetime. I want to. I don't just want to die and think, oh, well, you know, we had a good innings. You know, we did well. We tried hard and all the rest of it. I want to see something really happening on the earth that is bringing glory to Jesus in the most extraordinary way. It's really easy, isn't it, to point the finger outside and say, well, look at that church. You know, I could and look at them. And actually, if we could start to say, do you know what? <laughs> I really don't know what makes them tick, but. They love Jesus. They are my brothers. They are my sisters. I, you know, ah, it's like when, like, a poor example, poor example, but maybe someone in your family decides they're going to paint their whole entire house lime green on the inside. And you go in there and you're like, whoa, lime green in the hallway, lime green in the sitting room, lime green upstairs, lime green in the, oh, I can't get away from lime green, and you think, lime green is a horrible, I, may, I like lime green, but but you maybe just think, why do they go for lime green, the whole house, and some of the other kids are like, do you know what, I'm never going to go around that horrible house, because they've got lime green everything, oh, do you know what I mean, so anyway, it's kind of, sometimes I think we can be like that, but it's actually really important that we understand that we are part of the same family and strive and pray and just cry out to God to establish that unity that is more than just superficial, but is deep, is core, is central, is in our hearts, is visceral. Oh, wow. Here we go. So he says, I pray that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you may that they also may be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me and i think sometimes it is confusing to the world because they look at the church and see it divided and northern ireland was a classic example wasn't it and i know we can talk we can the minute i say northern ireland we can all jump into our trenches and start firing spiritual missiles at each other but at the same time i sat and broke bread with beautiful christians from protestant and catholic backgrounds and man these people love the same jesus um and so he said that they may be one so the world may believe that you sent me the glory that you have given me i've given them that they may be one even as we are one i in them 
and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. This is it, it's perfectly one, isn't it? I in them and you in me is going to speak to the world that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, listen to how he talks to his dad. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Wow, is this is just a beautiful, beautiful prayer, isn't it? It's just glorious. But he says, I just want them to be filled with you, filled with me, all of us in this, loving each other, loving you, loving me, this unity. And it's not wishy-washy, it's vibrant, it's powerful, it's spicy, it's glorious. That's the whole thing. I really do believe the church is meant to be spicy, it's meant to be full of life, full of flavour, full of dynamic unity. And he says, I've made known to them your name. Now, they they had reached a point, it would seem, by 300 BC or something like that, where the name of God was not, was considered too holy to utter amongst rabbis and amongst the God-fearing Jews. And yet here we have Jesus saying, I've revealed them your name. What was his name? What was the name Jesus revealed God as? It was Father. It was Abba. The name that is almost too holy to mention is Abba, Father. Jesus, right coming up to the most dark days of his earthly existence, calls to God, says Father. So today, the legacy, the the promise, the blessing of God for you and for me is that we can come to God just as Jesus did and say, Father, <laughs> have an amazing day. I'm so sorry about the interruptions at the door. God bless you. I love you all. Nice to see you, Nikki. Take care.